Uh, hey, we want to welcome you to church this morning. My name is Glenn. Uh, we want to welcome everybody that's here uh, in our worship center. I want to say a big welcome to all of our uh, people in our family uh, service in the gym, as well as our uh, traditional service in the chapel. People worshiping all over the campus um, this morning, as well as online, and we are glad to be together. So this is the part of the service, wait for it, where we dismiss kids to children's church, but before you go to children's church, I actually need all the kids, you're going to go to children's church, but first I need you to come right up here with me because we are going to pray for these boxes um, before they go out. So you can just come on out, yeah, right, just come on up right up here. You're going to go to children's church in a second. So, um, hey, I just wanted us to pray together for all of these boxes that are going to be going out to kids all around the world. In fact, all over different parts of the world, these boxes and, and others are going to go out. And I've actually had a chance to be at a couple places, uh, countries where they give these boxes out. So one time I was in Jordan, which is a place where there are very few Christians. In fact, it's kind of illegal to be a Christian. And one of the things that they could do is they could actually give out these shoe boxes in the name of Jesus. And this was a place where people, families had been through war and there was a kind of a refugee camp where they had to live and also at a hospital where kids were sick, um, they would come in and they actually kept some of those boxes back. They didn't give them out at Christmas, but they gave them out any time during the year whenever a kid was sick and came to the hospital and they did it in the name of Jesus. And then I was also in Lesotho one time and it's a place where there's very poor. Kids are probably not going to get anything for Christmas um, unless something like this comes. So I need all you guys who are looking good to just pray with me. So would you do me a favor? You can actually turn around and it's kind of weird, but let's just put a hand on those boxes. And I want you to think about a kid around the world who's going to get that box and I'm going to pray for them. And you could in your little mind and heart pray for them as well. So let's pray together. God, I thank you so much um, for your kindness and your generosity to us. You have given so much to us. And so Father, now in a little way, as we give back, we pray that you would take these boxes and as they go all around the world, that they would go in your name, Jesus, and they would bring your love and your light. I thank you for all these kids and all these families that put these boxes together, and I pray that you would use them for your glory. Lord, this is kind of a hard time in our world. We've got a lot of war. We've got a lot of struggle, and so I pray that these boxes would bring light this Christmas time. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, and now you guys are dismissed to Children's Church, so good job. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Awesome. Oh, someone left their Bible too. <laughs> Nathan, your Bible. So, um, good job, Dad. Uh, hey, uh, so as the kids are going, I have actually a little video that is going to kind of help introduce our topic for the day. Um, and so go ahead and watch the screens and then we'll jump into our message. Work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the nine to five with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business, work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. 
We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or a traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days in our calendars that have meaning. Every day on Mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. All right, well, there you go. Hey, so today we're continuing in the series that we began last week that is all about what does it mean to experience uh, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives in some of the most kind of ordinary, regular, nitty-gritty parts of our life. And so last week we talked about uh, the Holy Spirit. What does it mean for him to be alive in my family? And this morning we want to talk about the Holy Spirit alive in uh, my work. Now last week, if you were here, uh, when we talked about uh, the, the, uh, the Spirit alive in our family, we talked about the fruit of God's Spirit of patience uh, and how the, the patience given to us by the Holy Spirit can make a huge difference as we uh, have that kind of long-suffering, long-term approach uh, with our families. And this morning, we want to look at another attribute of a spirit-filled follower of Christ. So when Christ fills us, uh, his spirit fills us, some of the things that come out of us are the fruits of his spirit. And this morning, we want to look at the fruit of the spirit of love. In fact, the message, um, uh, kind of big idea, is this, love where you work. In fact, would you guys say that with me? Love where you work. And it's important the way you say it because uh, it's not love where you work, it's love where you work. Because do, do you know that the vast majority of people would say that they don't love their job. They don't love the place that they work. In fact, over 50% of all Americans say not only do they not like their, or not only do they don't love their job, but they actually do not like their job. So my goal this morning is not necessarily to uh, in, uh, in, inspire you to, to love your specific job more, even though I think that's a fine application of some of the things that we're going to talk about. But what I want to talk about is as people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, how do we show His love in the place where we spend so much of our time and so much of our energy? So maybe you're a student and you could think about this as the Holy Spirit alive in my school, or even if you're retired 
retired or a, a stay-at-home parent, wherever you spend that kind of nine to five, um, how can you experience the Holy Spirit more in uh, your life? Because if you do the math, the average American is going to spend about 80,000 hours in their job, about 80,000 hours in their workplace. So just imagine what a difference it would make in our world if Christians were known as attractive, as winsome in the place that they worked, right? And not just because of our doctrine and not just because of maybe a, a, you know, a holy or pure life, as important as those things are, but what if Christians were known as attractive and winsome because, as Jesus said, that we are known for our love, right? So imagine what it would look like uh, for us to have that. In fact, I mentioned last week uh, while I was on sabbatical, I had a chance to visit the, the Billy Graham Retreat Center. And there's a great quote from Billy Graham on this. And, and there is nobody literally in the history of mankind that has preached face-to-face to more people than Billy Graham. He preached in 185 nations. 215 million people came to hear a sermon from Billy Graham. And yet this is what Billy Graham said. He said, I believe that one of the next great moves of God is not going to be a campaign but it's going to be through believers in the workplace. So this morning, we have a great passage of Scripture that we are going to to dive into. We're going to spend most of our time uh, in that. But before we get there, it's always important that we lay the the right kind of theological foundation. So we want to lay kind of a theological foundation for this idea of work. And just like last week, where we saw that family is a part of God's original design that goes all the way back um, to creation, we see that that is true of work. In fact, on your notes, you might want to to, to write this down. A biblical foundation of work is that work is a good part of God's design from the beginning. It's a good part of God's design um, from the beginning. You see, work is not necessarily a part of the curse. Work got more challenging because of sin, but ultimately God says um, that work is a, a good thing. In fact, right in the mid- middle of Genesis 1 and 2, as God's describing the creation, you have this little verse, Genesis 2. 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So from the beginning, uh, work is a part of God's plan uh, to bring beauty and order and creation out of the garden. But here's something that's just fascinating. You know, it's not just humans that we see working in Genesis 1 and 2. In fact, the very first time that we're introduced to God in the Bible, what is he doing? He's working. He's designing, he's speaking things into creation, he's making things. We're even told that God gets his hands dirty into the dirt. And then it tells us that after six days of work, that on the seventh day, God rested from his work. And so the point is, as people made in the image of God, which we are all made in the image of God, we are people that are designed to to, to work. And we are people that are designed to, to rest in the same way that God did. You know, another thing that I just think is uh, amazing about uh, what the Bible teaches in Genesis 1 and 2 uh, about work being good is how different it is from the way so much of the world 
looks at work. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but, but many different ancient cultures, many different civilizations had kind of creation narratives. They had myths about how kind of the things were made, and several of the creation myths include the introduction of work. But almost all the time, it's different than the way it's presented in the Bible. So like in the Greek mythology, you have the Greek gods, and there's a time when there's paradise, and people are in it, and it's the story of Pandora's box. You guys know the story of Pandora's box? Pandora is given this box by, by Zeus, and she's supposed to hold on to this thing without opening it, but her curiosity gets the most of her. Uh, Pandora opens up her box, and out of Pandora's box come all of the evil and bad things in the world. And one of the bad things that comes out of her box is work. And that's kind of the, the way that work is introduced in the, the Greek mythology. You have the Babylonian uh, mythology. Of, uh, it's called a Numa Elish. Maybe you read about it in you know, some ancient uh, civilization class or something like that. But in the Babylonian story, uh, the god's name is Marduk. And Marduk looks down at the earth and he sees that there's so much work to be done. I kind of imagine it in my head like you're looking out in your backyard and it's just all overgrown and there's all this stuff to do. So Marduk looks looks down, he sees all the stuff that needs to be done on the earth. And so what do they do? They actually create people at that point, really to be the slaves to these gods. So the slaves of the people, the slaves of the gods are people. They go down, they do all the work because work is supposed to be below all the different deities. So those are just a few of the different kind of myths and ideas that are out there about work, but contrast that with the way the Bible talks about work and what we see God. Not only does God model work for us, not only does God say that work is good, but when God sends his son, Jesus Christ, out of love for us, how does he send him? He sends him as a servant. And he sends him specifically as, as a carpenter, as, as a craftsman. By the way, you may not necessarily know this, but do you know when paradise is once again restored, when evil is defeated and sin is no more and there's a new heaven and a new earth, uh, one of the things that we'll be doing in heaven is work. There won't be any pain or sorrow or anything like that. But when you read in Isaiah 65, if you read in Revelation 22, there's people that are, are, are trimming trees and caring for vineyards and, and building things and serving uh, God all without um, any problems, but in complete joy and peace. So work is not looked down on. Work is not to be avoided, but work is a part of our divine design. And God said it is good. So you see, that's we need to kind of lay that theological foundation. In fact, one other little tidbit about work, especially as it relates to the Holy Spirit. Do you know the very first people in the Old Testament that we are told are filled with the Holy Spirit? The first people that are filled with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament are not the prophets or a priest or a pastor. The first people that we are told that are filled with the Holy Spirit are the craftsmen. It's the people in uh, Exodus 31 that are to design and build and decorate uh, the tabernacle. And so God fills the craftsmen uh, with his spirit. So then, work is a good thing. Whether you kind of agree with that in your head or not, uh, let's just say the Bible teaches us that work is a good thing. Yet, so many of us struggle with it. Either we don't like our job or we struggle. There's so many things. So how can I rely on God's spirit in this place where I spend so much time and energy? 
That is a great question. I am so glad that you asked. Um, to answer that, we are going to look at Colossians chapter 3. So will you open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, where we have a really important passage, I think a great one, um, on this. And as you're turning there, let me just kind of give you a little warning about the passage that we're about to read. Um, to most modern readers, this passage that we're about to read can feel almost a little offensive and not necessarily offensive because of the, what it teaches us, but it feels a little bit offensive because the context, when Paul originally writes this to the church of Colossians, he's writing to slaves and masters. And so as modern Americans, anytime we hear about slavery, and, and rightfully so, it kind of ruffles our, our feathers. In fact, whenever I see slavery in the New Testament, it's like I'm, I'm waiting for Jesus and Paul to break into their I have a dream uh, speech. Now, you should know that the Bible actually does speak in somewhat revolutionary terms against slavery. Um, in the Old Testament law, there's, there's laws about uh, slaves and masters and those kind of things. And one of the things you see in God's law is a dignity and a respect and kind of a protective care that is offered to slaves that you find in very few other, very few other places in, in the ancient world. Then in the New Testament, um, Paul does come out against slavery. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he puts slave traders on the same list as the sexually immoral, as liars and cheats. And this was, you know, in a, a, a time way before anybody questioned slavery. But in Colossians 3, Paul's goal is not to overturn uh, a, a worldwide kind of system uh, of, of economy. About one-third of the total population um, in Paul's day would have been slaves. So it's a huge thing. Um, slavery is always offensive, but it, it also didn't look quite the same as it did. And it was kind of such a, a racially motivated approach in the, the, the 18th and 19th century in America and different places around the world. Um, in fact, when we read about slavery, we see that um, some people in Paul's day actually would have chosen slavery because it would have given them a, the most protection or the most stability in their life. And you read about people that are doctors and, and writers and teachers and even property owners. And so this is not me justifying slavery. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page when we read the scripture. This is not me saying uh, uh, slavery is okay. Paul's goal of this passage, however, uh, that we're about to read is not to, as I said, blow up the economy of his time. Here's what Paul's goal is and why it's important to us. Paul's goal is to say that if you are a follower of Christ and the Holy Spirit is alive in your life, then your life is going to look different, whether you're a slave or free, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're Greek or, 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 Gen, or Gentile or Jew, whatever it is, God's Spirit is going to look different uh, in your life uh, than those in the world. And one of the places you're going to see this is in the place that you work. So the Holy Spirit alive in my work. Um, let's see what I mean by this because he begins uh, in verse 22 with a word to all employees. So Paul addresses um, the employees first and this is how he does it in verse 22. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. 
So isn't that a great passage? Such a powerful and even revolutionary uh, teaching to slaves, but it's still uh, true for us today. And the idea behind this is that above all, we work first for the Lord. If you're a follower of Christ, above all, when I go to work, the first person I'm working for is not myself, not my boss, not even my family, but I work for the Lord. Yes, we have our job. We have a responsibility. We have the people that we report to, but the Christian mindset is whatever I do, whether it's in word or in deed, I do everything that I do in the name of of Christ. It reminds me of a a great uh, quote from a theologian uh, named Abraham Kuyper, and this is what he says. Uh, Kuyper says this. He says, there is not one square inch of the entire cosmos over which Jesus Christ does not emphatically declare mine. And so the idea is that everything in the world belongs to Jesus. And so that includes our work, whether we think about it or not. And it's transformative for us to begin to think about even uh, those hard days at work in this sort of idea. So I've actually, I've shared this, I think, with some of you before, but I still remember when I was a, a college student, one summer I worked at a, a Young Life camp, and it was a great experience to work at this camp, but I still remember it was really hard work. And the thing that I remember about how difficult it was working at this camp is that it was, was very relentless. It, it just kept coming day after day after day. So I worked in the dining room, and the idea behind the, this camp was when the campers would come in to eat, they wanted every table to be set up just so. And they wanted it to look nice, and they had a specific way they wanted it. So they, you know, the campers felt, felt welcome. And then they would come in, and they would sit down, and you would bring them the food and serve them the food. And then they, you know, they weren't being bad, but they would just make a mess of the whole place. And then you would clean it up and do the same thing again. And three times a day, I think it was only six days a week. I think we did get Sundays off. Um, but it just was relentless. Time and time again, we kept having to do this. And it was hard work. And it was frustrating because you'd do it and it would get messed up. And by about the third week, all of us that were working in the dining room were starting to get a little frustrated with this whole thing. And our attitude was starting to change. And I still remember, all these years later, we had this leader of our group who was so wise. And he called us together. And he said, I know you guys are getting a little frustrated, but here's what I'd like you to do at least for the rest of this week, do me a favor. Every time you set the table, picture, not that you're setting it for a camper, but picture that you're setting it for Jesus to come in and sit at that table. And every time you bring the food, don't, don't just see the, the camper that you're bringing it to, but picture that you're bringing it to Jesus himself. And I remember just what a difference that made, not only in that week, but literally years later, that idea has stuck with me, that whatever we do, we do for the Lord. And that's what the Bible teaches. If you are an employee, yeah, you work for your boss, but yes, we work first for the Lord. Paul goes on and he says, one of, one of the things that, that that means is we give our best even when nobody is watching, right? So whether they're looking at you or not, I'm still going to give my absolute best, In fact, it was just maybe one or two summers after that that I got another summer job as a college student. And uh, this was actually like the best job I'd ever got. It paid more than any place I'd ever worked before. And I was going to work for the summer in uh, like a pretty well-known high-tech computer company in the Silicon Valley. And it was this big um, company. And I got hired for the summer to work in in like the mail room, in the delivery room. And like I said, the pay was great. And and my responsibility was to, to get all the supplies 
applies into all the different departments um, throughout the day. So I got the job. I started, you know, going about doing the best I can to get all these things to all the different departments and going as fast as I can doing all this. And about the third day on this job, a couple of the older guys that, that worked in the same department pulled me aside. And they said, hey, kid, slow down. And I'm like, slow down. I mean, what, am, I, am I doing it wrong? Am I like not getting them to the right place? They said, no, no, no. They said, slow down. Because if you keep going so fast, the boss is going to know that we can get this thing done, you know, faster than we do. And, and that's not what we're looking for. In fact, I worked there all summer. I've never seen two particular people that like gave so much energy to getting out of work. It was just ridiculous. I thought, just because you're working so hard. But I think about those two experiences, and I think about the difference to how we approach work. And Paul says, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, your life is going to look different. And one of the places that's going to look different is in the way that you work. And one of the ways that we love where we work is by giving our best and giving our best first to the Lord. So Paul says, that's some advice for employees. But then he goes on and he gives a word for employers. So this is all of you who are supervisors, all of you who are bosses, all of you who are uh, company owners or presidents or people that oversee anyone. Um, And this is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. He says this. He says, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And so the principle for any Christian boss or supervisor is to treat your employers fairly and with respect as God treats you. And the concept is always in the way that God treats us, in the way that we want God and others to treat us, that's how we treat other people, including our employees. You guys, this was revolutionary when Paul wrote this. Because the master had no responsibility to anybody. He didn't have to care at all about the the slave. He didn't have to care at all about the employee. In fact, one of the things that's just amazing about what we just read here, and you maybe missed it, is the Colossian church had slaves and slaves masters worshiping side by side in the same church. Because they weren't seen first as a slave or as a, a master. They were seen as a child of God. And so God says, if you're a supervisor, if you're overseeing someone, man, what opportunity you have to make a huge difference in the people's lives that you work with. You have the chance to make their life better. So treat them fairly and with respect. You have a way to not only make a difference in the people that you work with, but you can change the culture where you work. Christians can be culture changers. And as I was thinking about this, I I remember that I heard someone talk recently um, about an old movie that I just love. It's the movie 42. How many of you guys, have you seen the movie 42? It's a little bit old now, uh, but it's the story of Jackie Robinson becoming the first black baseball player. So he's the first guy to break the color barrier in Major League Baseball. It's a great movie, um, one of my favorites, but unfortunately, if you go back and look at this movie, it actually leaves out why he did it. I mean, it's, you know, it's because he wants to be a major league baseball player and all those things. But what really was Jackie Robinson's motive to go through the things that he did? Well, when the movie came out, there was actually an article um, that appeared in the USA Today, the old newspaper of all places, and, and it kind of delved into this. And so let me just share a little bit about this backstory of this. It says, Jackie Robinson was a man of great faith, and his Christianity was integral to his success, even though you wouldn't know it from the movie. In fact, there's a mysterious hole in the middle of this otherwise worthy film. 
You see, the man who chose Robinson for his role was Dodgers owner Ricky Branch. And so he's the guy, uh, uh, the other guy in the the picture there. And so uh, Ricky Branch... Um, when he first met him in their original uh, meeting, or I'm sorry, not, it's Branch Ricky is his name. Branch Ricky uh, uh, makes it clear that he's looking for a man with guts enough not to fight back when things get tough because he knows whoever is going to be this one who breaks the color barrier, it's going to be tough for them. But where did Branch Ricky get this idea? And why did Jackie Robinson agree to it in the first place? The article says this, the answer to these questions lie in the devout Christian faith of both men. It says Branch Rickey was a Bible-thumping Methodist who sincerely believed it was God's will for him to integrate baseball. And he saw his role as the boss of one of the most successful baseball clubs was not to just make a difference for the Dodgers, but to make a difference for the people and to change the moral history of this nation. And Rickey chose Jackie Robinson because of that young man's Christian faith. You see, Branch Rickey, as the boss, knew that God had given him influence so that he could make a difference, a difference in the life of the people that played for him and that he was responsible for. But he understood that he was in a position where he could change culture and he could change uh, so much. And as much as it pains me to tell a story where a Dodger is the hero— I know, it's just, it goes against me, but there's no giants or dodgers in the kingdom of God. There's no slave or free. Um, You have to say these are two Christian people that made a huge difference. An employee and an employer who said, you know what? We're going to do things different. We're going to let our faith come out of that. And because of that, we, before we work for anybody else, we work for Jesus Christ. And literally, the rest of it is history. Now, you may hear that and you may say, you know what? That all sounds good. I'd love to do that. But you don't know my workplace. You don't know the people that I work with. You don't know how unreasonable my boss is. In fact, I mentioned that over half of Americans say that they actually don't like their job. Uh, the, the reason is not necessarily because of the work. Most people list the, the people people that they work with. And can you guess the number one reason people give for not liking their job? It's their, their boss. And you want to know their number one complaint about their boss? I thought this was kind of funny. They said, I don't like my boss. You know why? He tells me what to do, <laughs> which sort of seems like what a boss is supposed to do. But um, so the question is, you know, in my situation, in the place that I work, because you guys, we have a very diverse group of people who work in all kinds of different settings. Um, how do we experience the Holy Spirit alive in our workplace? And the next five verses in Colossians spell this out in just such a beautiful way. And so we are going to unpack those um, together for the rest of our uh, short time together. But uh, I also should tell you that as I was preparing this message um, this week, that I I reached out to a number of you in the congregation, and I asked a number of people who work in all kinds of different jobs and professions, and I just asked you the question, how do you live for Christ in your workplace? And I got all kinds of great answers, and so I want to share some of those um, with you because I I don't know if you know this, uh, in my workplace, um, my coworkers are, you know, pretty much all Christian. And as much as I'm like, I'm trying to witness to a lot of them, but most of the pastors are like, leave me alone. I've got work to do. Although I feel like I'm making some progress with Pastor Dane. I feel like I'm, you know, getting somewhere with with Pastor Dane back there. Um, 
But anyway, so my work environment is, is different clearly than yours. And yet Billy Graham says that the next revival, the next great move of God may not come from inside the church, but it's going to come from an army of people in all sorts of places. So how do we live those things out? How do I love the people where I work with the Spirit's love? Let's just pull this passage apart verse by verse, phrase by phrase, because it begins like this. Verse 2, Colossians 4.2, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. That's the place that we start. Because what do you think would happen if tomorrow when we go to work and we go to school that we devote ourselves to pray for the people that we work with, our, our, our coworkers, our bosses, our clients, our students, our teachers? What would it look like to pray for the other kids that sit around me in third period or whatever it is? Think about that. In fact, I actually think the most common response that I got in all the responses uh, that came in about how people uh, are filled with the Spirit and love where they work was through prayer. I had a teacher who, who told me at the start of each day, at the beginning of each day, that they pray diligently uh, for all of the students and they always ask, God, show me the one that really has a need today. Would you just show me which one that I need to especially encourage? Uh, flip side of that is there was a, a leader of a company, a guy who was kind of the president of his, his company. He shared how in some really bold ways as a Christian that he made prayer a part of kind of the culture of their, their company. And at the beginning, beginning of the year, they, they had kind of a, a kickoff meeting and prayer was a part of that. And, and he said, I, you know, I, I just want to make prayer a part of our, our culture. People know that I'm a follower of Christ and that I could pray for them. A couple people shared that um, when they have coworkers it, that's going through something difficult, and you get this, right? You have a, a coworker that faces some sort of situation or challenge, and we can shine Christ by listening and really caring. But we can also shine Christ by taking that, just that next step by saying, you know what, can I pray for you in that? And it's amazing, whether a person believes in God or not, how open people are to be, to be prayed for. And so as we care for them, and then as we ask that question, follow up, pray for them, it's amazing. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. And that's the starting place um, for it. But then he goes on and he says, be watchful and thankful. Be watchful and thankful. So thankful is that attitude that people are going to be drawn to. It's so much better than being negative. And so he says, be thankful. But then he also says, be watchful. The word watchful or the idea behind that is to be present, is to be alert, is to pay attention. So in other words, at my work, I'm not just punching the clock to get through the day. If I'm a student, I'm not just waiting for the bell to ring, but I'm paying attention, not only to give my best work, but I'm watchful to pay attention to other people. What's going on with them? What, what can I do to be alert uh, to them? It goes on, and after that, Paul gets a little bit vulnerable, and he says, devote yourself to prayer, be watchful and, and thankful, but then he shares about his own situation. He says this, and pray for us too. Pray that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And when you read that, do you hear what Paul is saying? Paul's giving us all of this instruction about how you can do all of these things, and he's giving us this instruction while he's in prison. So it's like he's saying, I understand that your job is hard. I understand that your cubicle may not be the most conducive place to follow the Holy Spirit, but you need to know that my job has me in chains. My assignment has got me in, in prison. And it's kind of humbling because, you know, it's, it's nice that Paul is vulnerable to ask for prayer, but he, 
He asks, he writes to his church and he says, hey, uh, I'm in prison, would you pray for me? And I don't know about you, but if I was in prison and I was gonna write a letter and I was gonna ask you to pray for me, I, I'm pretty sure what I would, know what I would ask you to pray for me. I would say, would you get me out of prison? Would you pray that I get out of prison, that everything goes smoothly and I could get back to an easy life? What does Paul pray for? Not that he would get out of prison. He says, pray that I would proclaim the gospel clearly. Because even in this place that is so challenging, even in this place that I don't wanna be, I have an opportunity to love where I work, to proclaim the Holy Spirit, to, with the Holy Spirit, to proclaim the gospel clearly. So what does it look like for us to proclaim the gospel clearly where we work? How do we do that in a, in a, a right, an upright, an honorable, a, a kind way? Um, here's some of the things that, that different people shared about how they make the gospel known in their secular workplaces. Um, a couple of people told me about um, either Christian artwork or verses that they hang or display in their workplace um, that has become kind of a conversation starter and how that's led to a lot of conversations. Um, one guy told me that he always makes it his goal to commute with someone. And so when you commute with someone, you've got that in this his case, I think 20 or so minutes uh, in, together in the car. And he says, it's amazing over the years how many opportunities he's had a chance to share his faith, not in a preachy way, but in a like, hey, we're just sharing life together, and, and this is what I did this weekend, and this is what I learned, or uh, just kind of uh, re- genuine conversations. There was a financial advisor who shared with me that how often he has conversations with his clients, obviously about financial plans and financial future, and he says oftentimes, with the relationship is right and the conditions are right, that he's able to say to them, you know, hey, we've talked about these, you know, financial plans for your future. Have you... Have you given any thought to your spiritual plans? Have you given any spot to, thought to your eternal future? And just how many opportunities in his workplace as a respected financial advisor, he gets an opportunity to bring Christ into things. And, and Paul's prayer is not that I would get out of prison, not that it would be easy, not that I would get a new job, not that I would get a raise, not that my boss would leave me alone, but my prayer is, can I just proclaim the gospel clearly? Again, what a difference it would make if we began to approach our world in that way. Hey, we're going to skip down to verse 6 because I want to finish with verse 5. But uh, Colossians 4 says this. It says, let, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your conversations be full of grace and seasoned with salt. Salt is something that makes people thirsty. It's something that preserves things. It's something that, that makes people want more of. And so the words that we choose and the posture that we carry ourselves with at work obviously makes a huge difference, full of grace and seasoned with salt. Because if you think about it, in these divisive times that we live, there is no shortage of negativity. There is no shortage of, of people that are not thankful, not full of grace. Their, their conversation is not full of salt. It's full of, of vinegar. So what would it look like if in our environments we were just known as people who were going to be kind and, and say positive things? Uh, one person shared one of the main things that they do is they just really purpose not to join in the office gossip or talking negatively. He says, there's a lot of negative talk about people in my office, and I just have always purposed to, to either try to change the subject or, or not be a part of it. And just think about it. If, if all of us just did that alone, what a difference it would make in the, the places that we work. A police officer wrote to me and said, um, a big part of her commitment is to treat even the bad guys that, you know, she spends so much of her day with, she says, with dignity and respect. 
I always try to look them in the eye. I call them sir and ma'am. I'm always pointing out that there's a better life that they can choose. I had a high school teacher who said, you know what, man? That the students are under so much pressure and negativity that I just determined that I'm going to always look for something positive to say to build them up so that they all know, at least from me, that they are cared for. She says, sometimes it's as simple as, hey, I like your shirt, hey, I like your new haircut, but I'm going to say something positive to them. A president of a company, oversees a, a, quite a large company, said, I, I make sure that I see every person, not just for what they bring to the business, but I purpose to see them as real people. And he says, that has changed the culture of his company. Last verse that we want to close with is this. Verse 5, Colossians 4 says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And that little phrase, make the most of every opportunity, literally could be translated as redeem the time. And maybe you have a translation that says that. Uh, make, uh, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Outsiders are people that are, are not a part of the church, not, not Christian. And with them, redeem the time. And the word that the Holy Spirit in, inspires Paul to use there when he says to redeem the time is not just kind of the general word that sometimes is used for time, but it's kind of a sacred word, and the word is kairos. And kairos refers not just to the ticking of the minutes, but kairos literally is defined like this. It's the unique and important moments in history. Kairos is what we sometimes call those God moments. Paul says, make the most of those God God moments, those opportunities when there's an open door, when there's a need. And if we open our eyes, you would be blown away how many Kairos moments God is giving you and me day after day. One person told me about how they uh, came alongside a, a co-worker who had lost a, a loved one, and that was obviously a troubling time, but then they had to plan the funeral, and this person didn't have any experience with, with church stuff. And so they came alongside and, and helped them do something really practical like plan the funeral for a loved one. Another became a listening ear for a parent who was wrestling with uh, some, some special needs that a child was, was dealing with and, and, um, and just came alongside in that. Another boss of a, of a, a local business um, shared with me the story that at their, um, around their offices that they were having a problem with, with the homeless uh, gathering kind of in front and always making a mess. And so the people in the office were getting frustrated and kind of mad at this situation and they didn't know what to do. And, and so the boss of this company, who has a pretty busy schedule, um, decided that he was going to go out and he was going to start to get to know some of these people. And so he said, I'm going to just learn their names and I'm going to see how I can pray for them. And he purposed to find out about some programs at the Salvation Army that he could help get them into. And here's the thing. As much as the boss being out there talking to these people could have helped those people, imagine all those workers in the office looking outside and saying, man, this is the one that we know who loves Jesus, who is leading our company in this way. You guys, what would it look like for us to love where we work? Hey, I'm going to close us in prayer. And would you bow your heads with me? And I am going to uh, take um, something that someone from our church, uh, actually a 20-something in our church wrote me this. And so I'm going to turn what was written to me into our prayer. And so would you bow your heads with me? Her word said this, In my workplace, God, it is so easy to be focused on all the tasks at hand and to spend most of my time and energy working to find solutions to the problems in my workplace. 
When do I have the, when I do have the time, God, to chat and to relax with my coworkers, it seems taxing and, and uh, intense, um, too intense to continue to ask the Holy Spirit to work in my life and my coworkers' life. But here's God is the, the great thing about coworkers. I spend so much time with them and a variety of people. I begin to learn about their lives in deeper ways. We do hard things together, and that connects us in a unique way. So, Holy Spirit, would you empower me in my workplace? Uh, I think about a verse from Romans 1 that says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. God, it's so easy to stay quiet about my beliefs. It can be easy to gloss over what I did this weekend without mentioning church or a sermon that I'm still thinking about. Yet as we interact with you and encounter you, Holy Spirit, foster in us a supernatural boldness and a desire to go and tell. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit will open doors and give me natural ways to talk about the gospel. It is my prayer that my life would be a reflection of Christ's redeeming power within my life. May my professional walk match my Christian walk. I want to be teachable. I want to grow in grace and knowledge and share the knowledge that I already have working together with the people around me. I know it's not my job to open ears and hearts. So please, Holy Spirit, work through me in my workplace. Amen.